I want you guys to try something with me. Let's, let's try a little mental exercise. Imagine an unexpected morning. You've just, you've woken up, you get up, you realize that you're not in the same place that you fell asleep. You're not even in a bed. As you observe your surroundings, you, you notice a, a, a rocking movement, the sound of water and the smell of salt in the air. You stand up, you grab the nearest thing to you, and you realize that you're on the deck of a ship. As you look around, you don't see any trees or mountains or any land at all. You just see water. The sky is overcast, and it almost matches the, the color of the water, and that just, just makes it feel so vast and, and makes you feel small. As you look around with all of your senses, you, you don't hear or see any people or birds. And the ship doesn't seem to be moving. It's just floating aimlessly in the water. Now, at this moment, I'm, I'm certain, I'm, I'm sure, <laughs> that you'd have all kinds of questions swirling around in your head. They'd probably be something like, where am I? How did I get here? Uh, where's this ship going? Where, where, how do I get home? Am I alone? Is there anyone else on this ship? Is, am I dreaming? Is this even real? <laughs> these, are, these are all good questions because each one would help reveal something about your situation. It, it would help you understand a little more of what's happening. And so in a situation like this, we would want to find information. Something like a, a GPS or a captain's log something that details where this ship has been, where it's going. It, you know, it'd be great if there's some extra details, like like how we got to where we are now. Uh, maybe if it had some coordinates on there, because, I mean, that would help us. We could keep that, and that, that could help us in case we found a map, and then we could find ourselves on a map. We could look for food, maybe some, some drinking water, try to figure out if we have enough things to survive and, and how long we could survive. Uh, we could wait for the clouds to pass, maybe try to look for constellations or or at least a star to try to find out what direction is what. We would start searching for answers. We would think of ways to survive. We would start questioning everything. And this, this is the basic premise of worldviews. Hey, welcome to Pickled Parables. My name's Jesse. This podcast is presented by Parable Ministries. If you want to, you can learn more about us at parableministries.com. Go check us out. Today, we're going to be talking about worldviews. It's through life's greatest questions, like, where are we? Why do we exist? What's my purpose? What's life's purpose? Are we alone in this universe? It's because of questions like these that we, we search for answers and we come up with assumptions. These presumptive conclusions inform our understanding of the world, the people in the world, and, and even ourselves. As a definition, a worldview is a theoretical lens through which we look at and try to make sense of the world. It's, it's an effort to answer life's important questions. But an important starting place is personal perspectives. Everyone has a unique 
personal perspective, which influences the way they see the world. So let's begin there as we enter this topic. Ideas have consequences. When faced with life's greatest mysteries, we, we tend to look for information. We try to discern, we try to comprehend what we don't know. Like with our thought experiment at the beginning, we try to figure things out, we try to think things through. We come up with conclusions. Well, I mean, some people call them assumptions, but we, we come up with, with ideas which then dictate how we live and how we interact with the world. Now, ideas have consequences because based on how you think of yourself and other people determines how you're going to treat yourself and then interact with other people. There's an old biblical proverb that says, for as he thinks in his heart, so he is. Or another way of saying that is as he reckons in his soul, so he is. I kind of like that one better. But you see, through thoughts come actions. Actions create habits, and habits have a tendency of creating culture. Scholars like to describe what we're talking about as a worldview. It all starts with how you look at and perceive the world. According to one man, he's named James Sire, he has a fun little book on this, he says that a worldview is a commitment A worldview is something you commit to. He says it's a fundamental orientation of the heart that can be expressed as a story or in a set of presuppositions. Now, that's a really meaty definition, but I present it to you because it's kind of helpful in in looking at it that way and understanding it. I'll I'll read it again so we we can chew on it a little more. A worldview is a commitment, a fundamental orientation of the heart that can be expressed as a story or in a set of presuppositions. Now, to break this down, presuppositions are assumptions, basically. Uh, uh, assumptions that might be true, they, they might be kind of true, or they, they might be just totally false. <laughs> but everyone has presuppositions. We come up with ideas through personal experience. We, we come up with ideas through research uh, and just thinking about things. This means that everyone has a personal perspective that we have created and which influences the way we see the world. I mean, we, all, we, we, we hold to all kinds of ideas, whether in a conscious effort or in a, in a subconscious effort. It, it could be something that we heard as a kid or that was said to us, and we just buried it into the back of our minds. Yet even that would still influence the way we we observe and interact and understand the world. We could call this a a formative experience, (laughs) because it was something that we experienced and, and, and like learned, we took it to heart. So because of that, everyone has a unique personal perspective Everyone has had formative experiences, and that's super valuable because we can share with our friends and with with others our individual learnings and experiences and hopefully uh, learn from each other. That's a really healthy practice. But something else that it does 
is that it leads to the development of a worldview that is accepted by several people. Now, worldviews are ultimately established by what we discern or what we observe to be real and what we, what we think matters, I guess. Here's an example to, to kind of help explain what I mean. A, a naturalist is a term. It's a term for people who observe creation, who look at the world, and they discern that that's all there is. It's just things you can see. It's things you can observe. It's, there's, there can be nothing beyond the tangible and the experienceable. Then there are people, that, here's another term, there are people called theists. Theists are people who observe the same world and they discern, well, there has to be a creator. Like someone had to put this together. There has to be something or someone outside of the tangible. And so based on what people discern to be real is how worldviews are created. (laughs) Now, obviously, people come up with a lot of different conclusions because everyone starts with a personal perspective. Our, our, our worldview influences our beliefs. It, it influences our values, and it even trickles down to our behavior. Based on what we discern to be real determines what we believe to be true. Our beliefs create our values, and our values direct our behavior. Now, if everyone is looking at the world through a, a, a slightly different lens, how useful would it be to have something like a captain's log, something, some external source that we could turn to for a, a larger perspective? You see, the problem that comes from, from personal perspectives is that it, the information that we can observe and, and learn and gather is limited. Observing the world from a fixed position, it doesn't let you discover much. So in keeping with our initial analogy, I present to you the Bible or our captain's log. This book removes us from the center of the universe and it shows us the world in the way that it was meant to be seen. Believe it or not, but the Bible applies to every aspect of life. It presents God's perspective of the world. It it presents practical guidelines for hygiene. It details how government and authority should be used and practiced. It it shows how to manage grief and other emotions that can consume you. It it takes a deep dive into morality and it highlights what's good and what's wrong. It, It applies to every aspect of life. Honestly, with that in mind... (laughs) The, the whole captain's log analogy is uh, kind of weak because the Bible is so much more than a journal. But similar to how a captain's log can orientate a sailor, the Bible can help orientate our hearts. The Bible presents God's worldview. It, it, it shows him as the creator of the universe. And as the creator of of the universe, he would be in a great position to know (laughs) what's real and what matters. So his worldview is not based on discernment. 
And, and so this godly perspective, it would then dictate his values. And something that we can, that we can see, something that we can learn from, from reading the Bible is that the creator, God, he loves his creation. Listen, listen to this. This is an instruction that he gave to an army. It's from Deuteronomy chapter 20. When you besiege a city for a long time, making war against it in order to take it, you should not destroy its trees by wielding an axe against them. You can eat from them, but you should not cut them down. Are the trees in the field human that that they should be besieged by you? Only the trees that you know are not trees for food. You may destroy and cut down, that you may build siege works against the city that makes war against you until it falls. As humanity has learned from experience, war causes a lot of destruction. And God gave instructions to the Israelite army on how to mitigate environmental destruction. Don't use the food-producing trees to make war machines. God also gave instructions to farmers, people who work with the land, who, who work like in conjunction with the land. This is what he said to them. For six years, you should sow your land and gather in its yield, but the seventh year, you shouldn't. You should let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat from it, and that what they leave, the beast of the field may eat. You should do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. God wanted the land to have rest, and he wanted it to have the opportunity to recover from heavy use. So God clearly gives value to earthly preservation. He, that kind of makes sense. If, if he created the environment, then, then he would want to see it sustained. Now, something else that God values is animals. Listen to this. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 22. If you come across a bird's nest in any tree or on the ground, and it has young ones or eggs, with the mother sitting on the young ones or the eggs, you should not take the mother with the young. You should let the mother go. But the young you can take for yourself, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long. God didn't want animals to go extinct. He wanted people to treat animals with respect, and and to keep them, some of them, alive, (laughs) because he valued their existence. Here's another one. You shall not muzzle an ox when it's treading out the grain. Again, this this is an example of showing kindness to animals, especially, in this situation, animals under your care. Now, here's one more. This this one's a little more difficult to understand. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey and is going astray, you should bring it back to him. So, so even, even if the animal belongs to your enemy, God would want you to return it to them so that they could take care of it. The instruction continues. If you see the donkey or the ox of one who hates you, now notice that, not someone that you hate. This is someone who, who hates you. <laughs> if you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you should refrain from leaving your enemy with the donkey and you should rescue the donkey with your enemy. 
with him. As in, you should work side by side with him to save his animal. That's the worldview of the Bible. That's what the Bible presents. It's so, it's so different than how, than how I would think. I mean, it's radical in the most literal sense. And, and it almost seems impossible to understand at times. God's perspective reveals what he intended the world to look like. I mean, his worldview is absolutely astounding. I mean, who would go to their enemy and help them save their animal? From my perspective, it would be a good thing for my enemy to, to be at a disadvantage. I, I wouldn't feel inclined to offer any help. But that's why ideas have consequences. My natural inclinations, man, they, they, just, they fall short of God's. When I remove God from my observations and I create a perspective that's self-absorbing, my values will affect my behavior. When we live without God's perspective, we create a world that just falls apart. But if we commit to God's worldview, then we'll see each other and the world in an, an entirely new light. And this is something Jesus really presented and, and highlighted and pushed it during his, his ministry. Jesus presented God's worldview through his teachings. He talked a lot, a lot about something called the kingdom of God. And Jesus was revealing what a godly culture would look like. It all started with a person's thought life. Because through people's thoughts, they would do things. It created actions. And then when done enough, when practiced, those actions, they would eventually become habits. And then when you have a bunch of people doing the same thing over and over again, like habits, you, you create culture. Jesus was creating a culture that would fit and reflect the kingdom of God. A culture inspired by God's worldview. And you know, ever since mankind's fall in the garden, we have fallen further and further away from God's perspective. I mean, look at what happens when people put on God's perspective. We get Bible verses like this. This is from the, the letter to the Ephesians. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Rather, be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted. Forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. Man, worldviews world are so important. I mean, we, we don't really think about them that often, but through a, a trickling effect, they ultimately, they influence how we, how we think and, and how we act. I would encourage you to, to please allow the Bible to orientate your heart and commit to it. Read, read the Bible, open it up, and commit to its teachings. 
Thank you for joining me today. Worldviews are, they're always a fascinating topic to, to talk about. We're still working our way through our introduction series. Next week is the next step of this topic. It's about how spiritual renewal affects people's perspectives. This is the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And once he comes and indwells in a believer, he inspires spiritual change. Now, I, I, I want to say here that it's, it's impossible to fully understand and commit to the worldview of the Bible without the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life. And that's because the greatest power that the enemy has over you and me are the lies that he gets us to believe. And the Spirit, he works diligently, he works so hard to undo the lies that rule our minds and rule over our lives. So be sure to tune in next week because our topic is going to be about how the Holy Spirit works in people's lives. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you next time.